0: Thanks for tuning in to Access Utah before we jump into, uh, I think it would be a very interesting discussion on uh, social movements, the marches and protests that are happening, putting those in context, talking also about civil discourse, uh, today And uh, you can respond to the program, hope you will, at upraccess at gmail.com, Upraccess at gmail.com. We have follow-up on uh, a couple of recent uh, programs, previous programs. Uh, first of all, you'll recall that uh, we talked last week about children's literature. We asked you what you're reading and asked you to send in your book list, and we focused on children's books. Here is MK, who has emailed us, and uh, she uh, they've got a list. Um, so MK says, Dr. Seuss... Anything, Dr. Seuss. Where the Wild Things Are, The Secret Garden, Chronicles of Narnia, Goodnight Moon, My Favorite to Read to Small Kids, and Mine as a Child, Olivia, Skippy John Jones, A Walk in Wolf Wood, Magic Treehouse Series, and Island of Blue Dolphins. MK says I could go on and on. <laughs> so if you got more, send them in. We'd love you to go on and on, MK. Um, here is uh, an email from Steve in Beaver Dam, Arizona. Uh, Steve uh, sent us a very eloquent and uh, moving email during the program, and, and now he's responding uh, to the to the repeat of that evening. Uh, this is on the uh, right-to-die legislation, Representative Rebecca Chavez-Hauk, which, uh, by the way, if you're uh, keeping tabs on that, uh, that did uh, die once again in committee, that legislation, House Bill 76. Uh, so Steve says this, if you will indulge, Tom, an observation on how an unexpected change profoundly affects a listener's experience of the very same radio broadcast. Listening this morning to Access Utah was an ordinary day. The show was poignant and topical of import and interest, which I listened to intently. And that was a satisfying package of deliverables from the radio program. But the second listening was different. This evening, I got a phone call from a lifelong friend calling to say he's entering hospice care. I got a phone call shortly before the evening Access Utah rebroadcast, and when I listened again to the same program, it was imbued with a profoundly deeper emotional resonance. Exact same show, heard twice, separated only by 10 hours. Die, I suppose, no revo- revel- real revelation, but emotionally it does feel revelatory how the sa- very same show could be magnified by the personal prospect of death interjected in those few hours. I did not expect to be hit between the eyes. Great stuff you guys are doing. Uh, so thanks for that, Steve, and thanks for that previous email uh, where you recounted your mother's experience. Uh, that's uh, added to the program as well. Here's another uh, response to that same show on the, on the Right to Die legislation. This is from Helga in uh, Logan. Dear Axis, Utah says I'm struck by how contentious the discussion of right to die remains in the U.S. and how we hold so steadfast to the concept of sanctity of life without considering the quality of life and dignity of the actual patient involved. Dignity, respect, and the best interests of the patient are as much an issue in dying as in living. I come from Belgium. Where the concept of medical assistance to a dying patient, often framed and executed under the term passive euthanasia, is no longer contested, and legal processes and procedures are in place for the patient to request such assistance of his or her physician. I lost both my father and stepmother to terminal cancer within the last 10 years. Both opted out of further medical chemo treatment because they wanted to maintain some quality of life in their remaining time. We had the opportunity to say goodbye while they were still lucid and before the excruciating pain would set in. They had both opted to receive a morphine drip uh, morphium that put them in a slumber before they peacefully slipped away within four to seven days of receiving that treatment. While it is always hard to lose someone you love, their death was made more acceptable because they were given the option of going with dignity and without excruciating pain. They were at peace, and so am I. I respect the views of others on this issue, understand that others might have a reservation that stems from their religious beliefs. Decisions such as these are deeply personal, however I do not agree with the concept that an individual should be robbed of their choice to decide how and when they want to die. In other words, it should remain an individual decision, not a mandate that comes regulated from above, based on the perspective or religious beliefs of a few, or the desire of those who hold power. For me, this is part of keeping our government intrusions from our daily lives and daily choices we make. I hope that if and when the time comes, similar options to those afforded to my parents would be available to me in the U.S. It might necessitate moving within the U.S. to a right-to-die state or even to Belgium, should this issue arise for me. That's Helga in Logan. Thanks for that uh, personal experience, Helga. Appreciate uh, that. Um, And uh, as I mentioned... uh, uh, the word that, that that House Bill 76 uh, has failed in committee. Uh, I'm guessing that Representative Chavez Hauck will bring that up again next year. Um, and, uh, this comment on a different issue, and we'll probably have a program on this in upcoming uh, days. Um, this is, uh, Veronica in Teasdale it says, I'm thrilled that the outdoor rec show is threatening to leave Utah and it's backward feudal public land stance. There are plenty of other States that cherish and support our priceless public lands. Uh, so Veronica, we will likely be doing a show on that. And thanks for that uh, comment. And, uh, we'll uh, go next to our subject for today. Welcome now to Access Utah. The tumult at Representative Jason Chavis' recent town hall meeting made national news, but it's not unusual of late. Marches and protests continue in the early days of the Trump presidency. In addition to the women's marches and protests at airports, there's the Indivisible Movement and unusual events on Capitol Hill, such as the recent controversy surrounding Senators Warren and McConnell. Some are comparing the current situation to the Tea Party movement or Occupy Wall Street. Some Trump supporters say that protesters are sore losers and that the president should be given the chance to implement the policies he ran and won on. John Oliver from last week tonight warns against resistance and anger fatigue, urges protesters not just march but to give financial support to organizations they believe in. This time on Access Utah, we're going to talk about the current marches and protests, and we'll also try to put these in historical context and predict where this social movement might go in the future. We want to know what you think. You can email us right now to upraxcess at gmail.com, upra access at gmail.com. And our phone number, we, you can call us to 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495. Have you marched? Will you in the future? What do you think of the protests? What do you think the future holds? Will this movement die out or get stronger? What will be the political effect? And what about civil discourse and working across the aisle? Is that a desirable goal? And if so, how does that happen? Our guests include USU professors Laura Gelfand and Jason Gilmore. Laura Gelfand has been involved in the Women's Marches. Jason Gilmore is interested in social movements from the civil rights era to today. And uh, we welcome you both in. Uh, Jason, welcome back to the program.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: And Laura Mm Gelfand, thank you.
1: Thank you. Uh,
0: So let me uh, start with you, uh, Jason. How do you put this uh, in context? One of the things we want to do, you've you've studied, of course, civil rights era. Sure. Take... uh, uh, students on uh, could call them pilgrimages to uh, to the civil rights uh, places. Mm-hmm. Um, l- let me start uh, more recently though. Compare and contrast what's happening now to the Tea Party. What's what's the yeah it's, uh, similarities and how how is it different?
1: It's it's been interesting because this is the this is kind of the question of the day, right? Is what social movements can we look back on uh, in recent years to tell us about this social movement? Uh, and I would say that's that that's multifaceted. So number one, uh, people have looked back at Occupy and they said, well, is this like Occupy? Um, and uh, I would come down pretty quickly on the side of this is op- absolutely nothing like Occupy. Um, Occupy uh, had the problem of it had this great start uh, as a social movement uh, and it had problems in leadership um, and direction and anything like that. And it's kind of fizzled away. And the one thing that it did do and had lasting effect is that it fused within our discourse, the idea of the 1% versus the 99%, which Bernie Sanders has now picked up. And he talks about the top 1% of the 1% or top 10% of the 1%. So that's really fused in our discourse. President Obama has talked about it. Um, but it fizzled away. And that was as its effects. The Tea Party is the one that people are, are looking at, right? Because the Tea Party surged out of the the Obama election in response to uh, Barack Obama, specifically, which you see parallels today, right? This is the the what I call the resist movement, which is an umbrella term for the Women's March, as well as all of the other different movements that are going on, but kind of encapsulated in this idea of resist uh, Donald Trump. I think you see some parallels. Um, Bernie Sanders was asked over the Uh, weekend about this. And uh, his response was uh, no, because the the Tea Party was funded by the Koch brothers, whereas this is a grassroots movement. And I think he's I think he's incorrect in that the surge of the Tea Party movement was grassroots. It was then funded by the Koch brothers as well as others. Uh, So I think you definitely see some parallels But then you have to take a point of departure, which is this movement is multifaceted, right? You've got the Women's March. You have uh, coming up on Science Day, you're going to have a a march on Washington from scientists. Um, You have marches every single Saturday. It's against specific executive orders. It's in support of vulnerable populations and immigrants and refugees. Um, You know, there are a lot of people uh, who are... uh, Hunkering down, organizing, and putting something together to defend different aspects of our society that they feel that Donald Trump is and his administration is threatening. Mm. Uh, so I would say that it's, it is it's a larger movement. Uh, but it might have similar political ramifications not only on the Democratic Party uh but on elections in the midterms uh, as well as in twenty twenty but also you 're going to see a lot of non traditional candidates uh running for office very soon, even in very red districts
0: mm. Sir to Laura Gelfand to uh, move your microphone over here um, so you marched in.
1: In Washington. In,
0: in Washington. Went yes. to Washington. Okay. Uh, well, first of all, how? Uh, it was set amazing. the scene for that. <laughs> it for was us, amazing.
2: People started talking about that march, I would say, within days, if not the day after the election. And so here in Logan, we were already hearing about it. It spread really quickly. And so I think I booked my ticket to D.C. the weekend after the election, mm-hmm. uh, and which was fortunate because all the hotels were booked. Everything was taken immediately. And it was clear it was going to be huge really early on, which was really exciting. Mm-hmm. I've participated in other marches in Washington when I lived on the East Coast or closer to the East Coast. And so this was more of a trek, but there were loads of people who made that trek. And um, I think that for a lot of us, it was, in the end, I think it gave us a way of a feeling hopeful mm-hmm. after a feeling of real despair following the election. It was the one thing it felt like you could do that maybe would make a difference. Mm-hmm. And now I think all of us are thinking about what what, goes, what happens now? What do mm-hmm. we do now? Mm-hmm. But the march itself was the most astonishing experience. Mm-hmm. I've never been in a march that mm-hmm. huge. So we were some of the people who, I mean, basically when you got there, you didn't move. You stood mm-hmm. there for four hours. Right. I stood on a sandbag okay. for four hours. <laughs> and um, we couldn't see the stage. You couldn't hear anything. And it didn't matter because you just looked at the signs and saw mm-hmm. the variety and the diversity. Mm-hmm. The diversity of the crowd, the diversity of the causes, the diversity of of what it was that had drawn people in such huge numbers mm-hmm. to, to make a stand and to say something. And it was a really, really empowering experience. Every single person had a huge smile on their face mm-hmm. for hours. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was fabulous. It was a great experience.
0: So you've marched before on other, other yes. occasions. I, I expect that some who are coming out to these recent marches, maybe first-time marchers, mm-hmm. first-time protesters. Why uh, Why did you want to go um,
2: this march. Uh, for me personally uh, I think there are a combination of things that, that I'm concerned about with the Trump administration and they have to do with civil liberties primarily but also the environment and so there are two main things that I think that are pulling me out there uh, the big march that I went to in 89 was um, a, a really amazing pro-choice march in D.C. it was huge and the idea that we have to keep fighting these battles um, Mm -hmm. at this point where 70% of the American public supports women's right to choose. Mm -hmm. So it's a very frustrating experience. And I think having a sense that you're not alone, that you're out there. I mean, that's what marches do is really empower you by giving you a sense for all the other people who feel the way you do. Mm -hmm. And and that you're making a public statement. And that's what America is, right? That's what our democracy is. And it makes you really proud to be Mm -hmm. an American.
0: Now, some are saying that they push back what you just said. Mm-hmm. Many would agree. Yeah. This is democracy. Right. We, pro- we have the right to protest. We protest. Others are saying, that, you know, Trump won fair and square. He he ran on a platform. He's implementing that platform. Uh, he should have the right and the space to do that. What, what do you say to that?
2: Um, well, I, I certainly understand that argument, but I would say that, I mean, I, after Obama's election i was immediately seeing impeach obama stickers on cars and i wouldn't say that, that 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 that's a sort of equal thing that when obama was elected immediately there were protests in, within days so it's it's mirroring what we've already seen only on a larger scale mm-hmm. uh, and the changes that are being promised and promoted are so far out of, I think, out of whack with what most Americans want that it's very disconcerting, and it's obviously worrying a lot of us.
0: Mm-hmm. Jason Gilmore, I want to follow up with that, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> and maybe going back, comparing this to the civil rights movement. It's mm-hmm. um, You know, some would say that that was a heavier lift. It was, it was whole society being changed in a very short period of time True. in the positive direction, mm-hmm. um, and that what this is— is elements of, of that people seeing you know, trying to go in a positive direction and resist you know trying to, try mm-hmm. to uh, uh, keep the country from going in a negative direction, mm-hmm. but it's kind of a the latest culmination in a tit for tat you know that we've we've gotten more and more polarized and uh, sure maybe that's the negative aspect of what our future will hold.
1: Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I think it's interesting, and I wanted to follow up on what Laura was talking about, which is and what you had opposed to her, which is the idea of of you know allowing the president to do his job um, without pressure from uh, protests and, and whatnot. And the function of our democracy is that the person in power always gets pushback from the legislative branch, from the judiciary, that those balances of power are enacted immediately as a new person takes office and throughout that to make sure that there are checks on power. Um, This is a democracy. People have voices. When the Tea Party arose, they should have their uh, their space and time to to voice their concerns and to act in whatever protest manner that they want, uh, as well as as anybody now who's allowed to do that. That is a function of our democracy. Um, I find it interesting that that to see people arise and say, shut up, sit down. And that to say is is a function against our democracy. You have to understand that when you tell people to shut up, you are acting in an anti-democratic way. That That is fundamental to understanding it. So you might not agree with what they say, but their right to say it at any point in time in their lives, at any point in time in their days, should be defended. Right? That's part of our democracy. So I, need, I, I, I wanted to address that. Uh, head on because Mm -hmm. I think that's important Mm -hmm. for us to understand Um, that when your political opponents uh, decide to do it, you should simply say, well, I don't agree, but they very much have the right to do that. Um, So to address the idea of kind of parallels uh, in, in the past, in the funny thing is, is is as you were saying uh, talking about the civil rights movement you said they were doing the right thing right or as we kind of look back historically we've we've agreed although not all think, america's not yeah, all americans not all americans, but but americans agree with a, a that, big majority of americans would say
0: <clears throat> i agree we, we moved in the right direction right? i yeah. agree
1: <laughs> yeah and i think uh, there are even trump supporters who have been categorized in negative ways who believe that as well um so i think that's that's something that needs to be said as well but the, the thing about social movements is that at the time, whenever they're happening, be it the civil rights movement, be it the Tea Party, be it any kind of social movement throughout our time, um, they're not always seen as legitimate, right? They're not always seen as doing the right thing. In fact, that's, that's, the part of, that's kind of part of social movements and protest is that you see that the status quo has something wrong and you're questioning it. Right. And there are so many people who want to defend that status quo. Right. Things are the way they are. Don't rock the boat. Right. People are made uncomfortable by people coming in and saying, I demand something different. Um, And that's disconcerting uh, to some people. But again, it is a function of our democracy. So I think I think at the end of the day, um, what we're going to see in this movement or this this multitude of movements um, is. We're going to see people who are dedicated to the long view on this. Uh, this is not Occupy. This is not going away. Um, people are mad. Uh, people are riled up. And I don't see that waning at any point in time.
0: Mm-hmm. What do you think, Laura Geltman, on that particular? And I have another question for you as well. Do you you see this this movement has legs?
2: Absolutely. And it's interesting to watch the Women's March itself, the organization that came out of that, because they have a very um, sort of vibrant online presence now and have a Ten actions in 100 days, and the one for this sort of last 10 days has been these huddles where you gather people around yourself. And I looked at sort of what the number was for that, and there were over 4,000 of them in the past 10 days. So there are a lot of people who are excited about being engaged now. If you look at um, the Washington Post or the New York Times, they are all um, sort of asking for people to give feedback on what they're doing now, and everyone is doing things they haven't done in the past, Mm -hmm. including getting Engaged in the political process as sort of actual people who are going to try and run for things, and so mm-hmm. I think there are a lot of a lot of changes afoot, and it does seem like a lot of people have the long view—not just two years out, but four years and beyond—which mm-hmm. is really exciting to see as well.
0: Mm-hmm. I want to ask both of you, and then we'll go to break, and, and then we'll get to our emails. We have several emails, uh, and we have to at uh, uh, that point to uh, have our listeners drive the conversation. By the way, we'd love to hear your comments on this. Uh, have you marched? Uh, do you plan to march? Uh, what do you think? This, does this have legs? It will kind of die out a little bit like uh, Occupy Wall Street. Um, and what uh, will be the political effect? and what about civil discourse and working across the aisle is that a desirable goal and if so how does that happen is a question they're throwing out to you or anything you'd like to discuss in this area upraccess@gmail.com upraccess@gmail.com or you can call us to 800-826-1495 so first to largelfand i'm i'm curious about i mean there's no one central like committee for for this whole resist uh, movement right but in your view, what's, what's the political outcome that you want? I, I'm uh, Maybe frame it with the protesters who are camped out at Chuck Schumer's house, right, the, the, the uh, Senate minority leader, um, and as, as they're saying it, to stiffen his spine. You know, don't accommodate, don't compromise, resist, resist, which, uh, you know, to, to, to my mind, uh, is very Tea Party-esque. That, yeah. That's a big strain of what the Tea Party was doing. Absolutely. Uh, strengthen the spine of the Republicans, resist, you know, Obama. And, uh, and that's what they did with support from the Tea Party for eight years. What, what's the political outcome that you...
2: I, I mean, it seems to me it mirrors that. Mm-hmm. It's very similar. And I one of the things that I've found really disappointing is to watch Democrats cave uh, when the Republicans are so much better at marching lockstep. In in it just seems to me they, they function as a party in a much more disciplined fashion. And so watching the Democrats cave is really, it's sad and depressing because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. um, there are representatives. And so I, I want some representation. And I think that's what all of us want. And... I mean, everyone, right? It's a democracy. We all want our representatives to represent us. And so having your opinion heard, having um, what you believe – understood Mm -hmm. and taken into consideration just seems so critical right now. And so I think lots of us are making phone calls. Lots of us, I mean, we're tying up their phone lines like mad, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Lots of us are sending emails and postcards and everything we can to sort of communicate with our representatives, demanding town halls, going to town halls, just trying to make sure that we're heard. And that's something I certainly have not been doing. I feel like I've been quite complacent for the last eight years. Mm -hmm. And a lot of us talk about that Um, and going from complacency to vigilance I think is is sort of the name of the game right now so and all of us are hoping to at least be able to slow down some of the more um, I don't know menacing uh, things that seem to be coming out of the Trump administration right now
0: mm. just a more similar question what uh, What do you see as, as the political outcome desired by a majority of the people in, in the we could call it resist uh, movement um, and you know a uh, Many Democrats decried the Tea Party, you mm. know, f- for pushing their members of Congress to obstruct, 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 and it sure. and it, see, and they would decry what they saw as if Obama says black, then we say white, and if he changes his mind the next day, then we change our mind. Um, what, do you see that as a similar goal? You know, resist at all cost. Um,
1: I think. Yes. I mean, that is definitely okay. what we're seeing. Um, and as you saw in the first days of the Trump administration, that was not the go-to move of the Democratic core in Congress. Right, Many of them voted for Ben Carson. I mean, the, the ones who are now leading the, the resist component of the Democratic Party, uh, Elizabeth Warren, uh, voted for some of the, the, the members of, of uh, Trump's Uh, Cabinet, And so immediately the base said, "Mm, no, um, that's not what we want from from our leadership anymore. And the leadership has responded. So now, uh, because of the base, because the base is telling them, we don't want to legitimize this administration, uh, you have seen the most contentious race or the most contentious uh, hearings over cabinet appointees in modern history. Um, so yeah, I think that's definitely what they're doing. And I think one of the interesting things that I've heard over and over again is the idea of losing, uh, being willing to to f- to fight for something even though you're going to lose, even though you know you're going to lose. So the fight over Betsy DeVos uh, was a massive fight, right? And Pence had to come in and vote for her to be able to become uh, secretary of education, which is unheard of in cabinet appointees. Um, and even though the Democrats, quote unquote, lost that fight, uh, her standing is no longer what it would have been before. Uh, so even though the, the kind of face value of that is a loss, the long-term value of that is actually a win, and it's a win in your base which is energized and will come out and vote for your new candidates, will come out and vote if they see that you have a spine and that you're willing to go toe-to-toe with the administration.
0: I've pulled up, and Laura Gelfand can see this on the screen, (laughs) I've I've pulled up this meme. This is, I think, the most famous (laughs) of the memes uh, based on Senator McConnell's uh, um, uh, statement to Senator Mm -hmm. Elizabeth Warren. Um, when when he invoked Rule 19 in the Senate and uh, and banned her from further debate mm-hmm. uh, on this particular issue in the confirmation of uh, Senator Sessions, right, as Attorney General. Uh, so in this case, it's Darth Vader uh, speaking to Princess Leia. She was warned. She was given an explanation. Nevertheless, she persisted. This is something that comes out of, uh, you know, the, and, and something fairly new in, in, in today's world of uh, social media, right? That yeah. Memes pop up. Yep. And this, uh, this is part of the...
2: Yeah, and it, the that's, they're they're great, aren't they? I mean, they're really um, to get the message out and get people thinking and talking. And, I mean, honestly, Mitch McConnell, I think, gave all of us a huge gift with, with that statement. It's really spread so quickly, and it's so powerful, and there are many ways in which you can apply it. But that was a pretty shocking thing, and I think um, in terms of what he did to Elizabeth Warren, and especially because so many of us recognize the misogyny throughout the campaign – and then to have that continue and in such a incredibly visible way is pretty disturbing and it's great to have a, a way to call that out mm. and to have that spread through humor or mm. through, you know, something sort of amusing like a meme like that. It's it's really empowering. I mean it shows that social media can actually play a really crucial role in these kinds of movements.
0: Now you mentioned misogyny. Um it was interesting to me that, although I talked to some of the marchers in the women's March who said this is not anti-trump this is not um, but the first big March in the Trump era mm-hmm. was a women's March
2: yeah you know but it wasn't only women there mm-hmm. you know there okay. were it was there were lots and lots of men at the that March as well I think they said 40 percent mm-hmm. so it it had that title and it certainly came from that and mm-hmm. that energized it and it still is sort of holding on to that name and there's a lot of contention with that as well. Um, there was a story in the New York Times magazine, the cover story on Sunday, about sort of historical um, sort of women's movements and how contentious they themselves can be in terms of uh, white privilege, white women's privilege, uh, bringing people in, how diverse or not diverse they are historically. It's a really interesting problem, and that's something that actually was embedded in that uh, this sort of. Ginning up to that march, you could see that stuff starting to happen. And I think what it comes down to is the nature of protest is divisive, mm-hmm. and so we, those who are part of that, will argue. Mm-hmm. And there is a divisiveness that is embedded inside of those movements.
0: It would be a disagreement among the protesters about exactly what mm-hmm. we're marching for. It's right all general agreement on the umbrella of issues, yes. but specific issues. Okay. Yes. Uh, so let's take a break. Uh, when we come back, uh, we will uh, get to your emails. We've got about uh, email, 80 e- emails backed up, so thank you for the response, and we'll uh, start crunching through those. Thank you, and you can get your email to us at upraccess@gmail.com. We're talking about uh, marches, protests, the, what uh, Jason is, is titling the, the Resist Movement, the umbrella name uh, that's happening in the Trump presidency. Our guests are USU professors Laura Gelfand and Jason Gilmore. We hope to hear from you as well.
3: I'm Robin Young, an evangelical advising President Trump says even though he didn't overturn some of President Obama's protections, Trump could balance things out if he made an order protecting the religious.
0: You have protections in the federal workforce for gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender people, but you also have protections for millions of Americans who have religious scruples.
3: Next time, here now.
2: Join us this morning at 11 on Utah Public Radio. What if you were sick and got the wrong diagnosis? He had told me that my symptoms didn't have a biological cause, but after we got out from the appointment, I walked back to my house, and I collapsed, and I couldn't get up for four months.
3: I'm Guy Raz, misdiagnosis. That's
2: next time on the TED Radio Hour from NPR. Join us this morning at 10 on Utah Public Radio. ¶¶
0: you're listening to Access Utah. The uh, tumult at Representative Jason Chaffetz's recent town hall meeting made national news, but it's not unusual of late. Marches and protests continue in the early days of the Trump presidency. In addition to the women's marches, protests at airports, there's the Indivisible Movement, unusual events on Capitol Hill. There are Some are comparing the situation to the Tea Party movement or Occupy Wall Street. Some Trump supporters say that protesters are sore losers, that the president should be given the chance to implement the policies he ran and won on. And we're talking about this uh, uh, current phenomenon. Uh, We're asking you, have you marched? Will you in the future? What do you think of these protests? What do you think the future holds? Will this movement die out over time or get stronger? What will be the political effect? What should be the political effect? What about civil discourse and working across the aisle? Is that a desirable goal? And if so, how does that happen? You can reach us to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com or you can reach us by phone to 1-800-826-1495. We have with us USU professors Laura Gelfand and uh, Jason Gilmore. Let's uh, go to your comments and questions. This is from Karen in Providence. Access Utah, she says, thank you for taking on this subject. To me, the protests against various aspects of the Trump administration seems different from the previous movements because there are so many disparate issues and because there's not agreement among the protesters about all the issues or which ones are the most important. Because of this breadth of concerns, I think the movement in some form will persist. To be sustainable, though, individuals and in small groups will need to intensify their involvement in specific issues at the expense of others. This doesn't mean sacrificing specific issues at the larger scale, but instead the movement that the movement becomes a set of more focused efforts. On another note, I do think civil informed discourse is extremely important. At the uh, Town Hall, the yelling and interruptions detracted from the well-informed questions. The biggest risk to resistance movements is that they are labeled fringe or extremist. These labels could deter a broad range of people from getting involved. That's Karen in Providence. Thank you so much for that. Uh, Jason, uh, let's take that last uh, point first. Mm -hmm. Uh, You could be labeled fringe or extremist. Tea Party certainly was. Sure. Um, You could be accused of being a paid protester, which apparently Representative Chaffetz. Accused. Uh, no evidence that I've seen come forward to, to that, but to this, uh, to this, um, this point, which has been made, by, I think, by several people, that uh, certainly people have right to go and protest and chant, you know, do your job to, to Representative represent Chaffetz. Uh, but if you get too rowdy or too, you know, if it gets out of hand from the point of view of some people, mm-hmm. then it uh, kind of least hurts the optics for for some people.
1: Yeah. I mean, one of the, the major reasons why the civil rights movement under the direction of uh, Martin Luther King, SNCC, CORE, all of those, uh, was that they were disciplined. Um, and the, the kind of nonviolent philosophical approach to absolutely everything that they did, where they said, if you're going to be rowdy, if you're going to be violent, if you're going to be this, you don't come to the march. Right. Um, and that discipline allowed them to be seen on the national circuit as um, as the victims. Right. Of oppression. Um, and that, you know, worked for them uh, massively in that time and. Um, and so you do run the risk of media portraying you, or politicians accusing uh, the social movement of you know being paid. Although the Tea Party sure did get their fair share of being called paid pro- protesters by the Koch brothers and things like that. Um, so nevertheless, they are persisting right? regardless mm-hmm. of, of how much they're being called that. And uh, the, the president has not been unknown or he's been known to tweet on, on social movements as hooligans and calling them names. So it's not just coming from Chaffetz. It's coming from on high. Right. It's coming from the presidential chair. So there is definitely the risk from a social movement standpoint that they will get labeled that way. That said, this is no fringe movement. This is a large portion of the population. The, the most recent Gallup numbers that just came out over the weekend um, say that 45 uh, percent – I'm sorry, 50 it's, – no, it's 45 percent of Americans disapprove. I can't remember the numbers. It's, he is currently the most uh, unpopular president in modern history. Right. I think his approval rating is at 40. His disapproval rating is at 55. That's what the number said in Gallup. Um, so we're talking about a large portion of the population that disagrees with the president. Um, so this is no small fringe element up in liberal Seattle. right These town halls are getting taken over in Utah.
0: And I think this is why it made national news, right? Indeed. That much energy in the, the third Utah, district, but, yeah.
1: But in Nebraska and so on and yeah. so forth. Uh, so this is no small movement. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you do run that that risk. And if violence erupts out of some of these uh, movements, like what happened in uh, Berkeley, um, then you do run the risk of being cast in a different way. So that discipline of bringing nonviolence to uh, the movement is huge. Mm-hmm. and that's why they said, coming out of the women's March, look, you know over three million people uh, in the United States marched and it was nonviolent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is discipline, and that is a meaningful thing on the national scale. Mm-hmm. right So you don't call them, you don't call them hooligans. you might call them somebody I disagree with, but you don't have the right to call them violent, you know marauders, things like that because by and large that has not been the way that they act. Mm-hmm.
0: Laura Guilfond, I'd like to ask you about the, this uh, concern of Karen's. Uh, she says that uh, this movement has legs in part because of the breadth of concerns, but that uh, for the movement to go forward, uh, there's going to have to be some focusing, sacrificing some specific issues at the larger scale, but instead the movement needs to become a set of focused efforts. What do you think?
2: It's a really interesting thing. I think all of us are struggling with what what happens next and what happens now, and whether it's something that you can... Sort of target what it is you're interested in and gather with your groups. And I think that those Women's March huddles that are happening now have a certainly have a component of that. I know that the group that I was with last week, we all talked about sort of where we were going to where we were going to devote our energies and what seemed to be the most um, successful way of moving forward and accomplishing things long term and short term. It's true, though. I think there's such a range of concerns. And there are these sort of micro concerns within that. And it's just, it's huge. But it seems like there's enough there for everyone to be involved in the thing that is most concerning to them right now. And just focus on that or those things and just keep moving. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's sort of all you can do. And again, that is democracy, right? That is, Mm -hmm. that is, this is what democracy looks like. Yeah.
0: Before we go to the next email, uh, Jason, mm-hmm. I'm wondering. I mean, you teach students about civil rights mm-hmm. era and, and movements. What do you think the kids are learning uh, through? the, the positives? I, I'm sure you would say. I don't know if there are negatives. Let me just uh, throw in here. I think this. I, I want to credit the right person. It might have been Seth Myers, anyway. Stephen Colbert said that uh, that he wondered how uh, what Mrs. Obama thought. Mm-hmm. That instead of her, it's now Trump who's having the biggest effect on students uh, getting outside and getting some exercise and in, uh, in the in protesting, you know. <laughs> yeah. um, which sure. which is it's had that effect on students as well. They're they're out uh, doing some protests uh, um, themselves.
1: Sure, I, I mean I think the effect uh, if 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 nothing else, what we're seeing is a nationwide civics lesson, Mm. right? What it means to be a citizen, what it means to be a president, and what are the limits to that power and why do we have limits to that power? Um, So I think what we're seeing is a massive civics lesson, Mm. right, and so I've always talked about with my students um, about being not only responsible citizens, but now probably more important than ever, responsible news consumers, Um, and so that's what I'm teaching in the classroom. Like, A, let's look at what are the functions in a democracy? What are the functions of citizens? Uh, and then we look at the instances that are happening, the women's march and so on and so forth. And let's talk about how that interacts with what it means to be a citizen, the duties that if you feel that your country is going in the wrong direction, that you take it upon yourself not to overthrow a government, but to question a government, Mm -hmm. right? Um, uh, I think it's, it's infused in our student populations. They are energized um, that the millennials are – uh, there's a lot built into my thought right now. But the, the fact that we, we are so fascinated with millennials is a meaningful thing because their political power is yet untapped and whoever inspires that generation is going to win the next uh, series of, of, uh, of elections. And it does seem like that generation is not in check with the current administration. Uh, so I think, I think there's a lot to be learned. Um, that said, uh, let's be honest, our students are not all on one side or the other. The idea that we teach them to be respectful of one another um, gets to the the question that you were asking about, about reaching across the aisle, um, because the movement that we take forward does eventually have to be mutual. Mm. It can't just be Democrats. It can't just be Republicans. At some point in time, there need to be people working in the middle to bridge those gaps, right, to say, OK, here's a controversial issue. Uh, that we've disagreed upon for years and years and years, and that they they have turned into a political football on us. But we might actually be able to uh, agree on some things and affect some change and some actual policy. I think is is I think that's where millennials are trying to think, mm-hmm. right? Because this whole reaction, not only to. Um, Hillary Clinton, but to Jeb Bush, the idea that the establishment was going to be in, in power again, I think is in part fueled by this generation that says, we see the corruption that has been infused in Washington for so long, and we don't want that uh, to represent us. Hmm. Uh, you're not ever going to get rid of corruption in Washington, right? Or corruption in government and people jockeying for power. I mean, that's just part of, part of the gig. But but the idea of breaking it apart, I think, comes from our uh, from these new generations. They're asking for something different.
0: Let's go to a caller, uh, Jennifer in Bernal. Jennifer, uh, glad you called. Go ahead with your question or comment.
3: Yeah, I'm uh, okay. I'm I'm uh, mem- my family. <laughs> um, I have an ex-husband who uh, used to give money to Jerry Falwell, and then I have an older daughter who lives in D.C. and was a huge hillary supporter and was at the march the day after the inauguration then i have a younger daughter who voted for donald trump and uh... i'm glad that they're uh... you know hopefully thinking through all these decisions but one thing that i find disturbing is i i had to use um, i had to be on the boys cross-country team when i was in high school because there was no girls cross-country team at that time and they thought If a girl ran that far, it would would damage her um, reproductive organs, okay? So I lived through the whole 70s thing where there were these preposterous rules against girls, um, and that was frustrating. So in that sense, I guess I was a feminist. What I don't like is being dragged in with women who call themselves pro-choice but will not listen to the voices. I got pregnant when I was 19, had a baby when I was 20, wasn't ready, gave the baby up for adoption. But I had made, you know, my decisions led up to that situation. I would never, ever, under those circumstances, consider it appropriate to take it out on the kid, okay? I don't like being dragged in with feminists who who are presumed to be, quote, pro-choice, unquote, because there are a lot of women who've had their lives really damaged by being... Um, Uh, coerced almost into having abortions, and I never hear their voices, ever, okay, because the women's movement, quote-unquote, squashes those voices. That I find disturbing. I find it very anti-democratic. But anyway, I just wanted to—I consider myself a feminist, but I also think if if it's a rape or if it's a, a problem with the woman's life being at risk, that's different, but when somebody freely enters into a situation, is that you don't take it out on the baby? And I am a feminist, and half of those aborted babies could have grown up to be nice ladies. So I feel really strongly about this. Thank you. Thanks, Bye-bye.
0: Jennifer. Thanks. For, thanks for the comment. Uh, let me direct this to Laura Gelfand. Um, what uh, Jennifer's, and by the way, Jennifer, it sounds like in her family, really needs to uh, uh, address these issues of working across the aisle, right? Talking across the aisle. But to, to the point of you know how. How wide is the tent? And, uh, I mean, and I
2: think feminism is really quite a wide tent, and it's getting wider all the time. I think that women's march really showed that there were loads of men there, sort of wearing carrying signs that said they were feminists. And then you know, I taught a class last semester. And at one point or another, every single one of the female students in that class in a response that would only have, I'm the only one who read them, said they were a feminist. And it was not apologetic. It was, I'm a feminist. And I am sure there are plenty of those students who are not pro-choice, but are happy to say that they're feminists, mm-hmm. so I think that there's it is a very broad umbrella under feminism. There's a kind of pop feminism now that is quite selective, and so it's not necessarily supporting the ERA or anything else, and it isn't um, completely as as Jennifer said. It it it's broad enough to include people who are not pro-choice, and they're all separate issues. I, it's it's hard though because I think that. Um, Abortion rights are so divisive. It's such such a Mm -hmm. difficult issue, and people feel so strongly about it. And it is one that I think has been used very um, skillfully and successfully to uh, cause a huge rift in the country politically. Mm
0: -hmm. I wonder uh, how do you talk across that divide? We're getting so polarized, and you know, if uh, you know Jennifer's whole family got together for Thanksgiving, what you know you could you could see. You can see that would be difficult, right?
2: Yeah, a lot. I mean, a lot of people are struggling with but that But that's kind right of a metaphor now. for the country. Absolutely. I mean, everyone is trying to figure out where are those places that we can come together because it has to happen if we're going to successfully move forward. You know, we can't just sort of push our, you know, the, the Democratic base to, to get in there and vote. I mean, it's got to have to be bigger. It, this, this division is really unhealthy for the country. It's unhealthy for families. You mm-hmm. can see it.
0: Jason, what would you say to that? Uh, I, think, uh, I think we're all trying to navigate in, in a time where it looks like it's getting even more polarized. Sure. And then the advice of many in the Democratic base to their Congress people is obstruct, obstruct, you know, try to get organized the way the Republicans obstructed <laughs> in yeah. an effective way for the last eight years. But then
1: how do we get anything done? How do we even talk across the aisle? That's a very large issue. Um, I, th- I think to, to begin with, one of the things that that I would say is that you'd be surprised uh, that in um, this lady's family, um, I'll bet you you could have some conversations. Yeah, they do get heated, but sometimes it's it's important to have important conversations, even if they are a little difficult to have, uh, because we know that. Um, we talk... So I, I think the... the as a communications professor, I, I really realized the power of words and terms uh, and the terms like feminism um, get categorized politically um, so that people shun it even though they actually do fall under the tent of it. Right. So our caller, I think, has has really exemplified the complexity of what it means to be a woman in modern America. And this is a, a man saying this, so I only know this uh, marginally. But I think in, in respecting what she had to say, which was the complexity of understanding women's issues and that women have been treated uh, in uh, disproportionately unfair ways in many ways, regards in our society, but also understanding that you need to value what you value and stand up for those things is also an important thing. And I think the Women's March and that movement um, had uh, some moments where there were many people who said, I'd love to be in that, but I don't feel like I'm welcome. And then there was a lot of kind of rumors spread that if you are pro-choice, you're not welcome, which the Women's March never said, never put out. That was actually created on the right uh, to to galvanize those uh, women who who maybe would have gone with the Women's March, but uh, uh, but didn't after all, because they they were pro uh, pro-life um, And so that's a complex issue. So how do we look at this kind of on the national scale? I think right now it is interesting to watch uh, Trump's um, approval rating, which is to say that there, there were a lot of people who voted for Trump who weren't really dedicated to Trump. And there were a lot of people who voted for Hillary who weren't fully dedicated to Hillary. Um, in that our politics actually unfortunately produced two very unpopular candidates in our last election. And even though one party currently has power, that opens up a pretty big opportunity to redefine what politics looks like going forward, not nece- not just under the fact that Trump is shaking up Washington, and many people like the fact that he's shaking up Washington, uh, but that what we've seen is that both parties fundamentally are changing and need to change, and that might actually bring out uh, the possibility of reaching across the aisle.
0: Lit, uh, Even
1: though it doesn't seem like that's right. the case right now,
0: could could be uh, a silver lining. Sure. Yeah, Let, let's hope. Let's hope.
1: I want
0: to go to more of our emails. and uh, I'll start crunching through these faster. I get I get uh, sidetracked <laughs> on my questions. I want to focus this <laughs> on our listeners. I will alert uh, our guests. We'll very likely go over the top of the hour, and uh, we'll have you stay as long as you can. I know you might have classes coming up, but. Uh, we'll just have you stay as long as you can. So okay. I'll just just say it that way. Uh so this is from uh this is from Holly. Um Holly says continued engagement is important to be effective. Here are some sites with instructions for easy ways to engage. 350.org. 5calls.org. Mm-hmm. Um, have to examine my eyes here. Sorry about that. 5calls.org. Uh citizenclimatelobby.org and Holly says there's a Cache Valley chapter of Citizen Climate Lobby. Uh so the three that uh, she mentions 350.org, uh, 5calls.org uh, and citizenclimatelobby.org. Mm-hmm. Uh, are there any that uh, you would add?
2: Uh, swing left is actually quite interesting because okay. they are identifying candidates or people pe- politicians who are in districts that are that could potentially move from right to left mm-hmm. and are targeting them. Okay. And that's actually quite interesting and they're sort of mechanism they had was really when you went on there, they sort of ask you what your strengths are and what you could possibly do and bring. And it was a a really interesting sort of interface. So I thought that they were, they've been quite interesting. There are so many right now. It's incredible.
1: Yeah, you've got apps that, I yeah, mean, you just click incredible. on your app and immediately it takes you to make a phone call to your representative. Mm-hmm. Uh, the five calls gives you the uh-huh. script to say to your representative. Um, so, yeah, there are a number of organizing websites. And, I mean, social media is, is, is that unfortunate place where you interact with that family member that is saying stuff that you don't politically like but as a as an organizing tool it is uh it is uncanny mm. let's go
0: to uh, this from dan in springdale dan by the way uh, if you're listening uh, you've been on my mind uh quite a bit since the election uh, And, uh, well, he gives a bit of his history in this email. Um, Dan uh, says, I sent an email to a recent Access Utah show about journalism in the age of Trump. In that email, I said that I had stopped reading, listening, or watching any news because I was convinced beyond any reasonable doubt that nothing could be done to salvage our republic from the ravages of Trump. I was simply walking away to preserve my own sanity. Quoting myself, I have stepped to the wall and accepted the blindfold with gratitude. End quote. I've changed my mind, Dan says. I still think we will lurch from crisis to crisis until something really serious happens, something far worse than 9-11. But I've changed my prescription for myself. Being willfully ignorant isn't working for me like it did right after the catastrophe of November 8th. I've decided to take up a new hobby, resist. I don't expect it to stop the coming ravages of the United States, but I do expect it to be more personally satisfying. I have started uh, attending meetings of like-minded resistors, and I'll be taking part in resistance actions. That's Dan in Springdale. And Dan, you've been on my mind, because though I didn't agree with you, I understood the response. I've talked to friends who, who had that same response, it seemed to be on the, on the far end, but uh, and so I've been wondering you know, uh, what you were thinking, and so thanks for, for responding uh, uh, to the program. Uh, any comment uh, first, Jason?
1: Well, I mean as a as a mass communication professor it's I would argue that uh right now is when we need to he- hold media accountable. Um, and we need to have conversations about what actual news looks like. Um, the, these are the conversations of our day. So to, to back away, I, I, I agree that it's good that he's coming back. Um, so I, every single morning, um, and people call me crazy, I open up um, from Fox News to CNN to New York Times to uh, NPR all the way over to Huffington Post on the left. Um, and I look at the overall framing of the news, um, from, again, the extremes of Fox News and Huffington Post and everywhere in between to really do my best in seeing how things are framed politically and then where are the actual journalists who are doing their kind of watchdog functions. Um, and there are a lot of professional journalists uh, doing phenomenal work in our quote-unquote mainstream media Um that I think we need to pay more attention to. Mm. And we need to, we need to take up our, our cause of being citizens, of finding those better sources and, and seeking them out on a more regular basis, not just retreating to our own camps.
0: Laura Guffin, I wanted to have you uh, respond, but we need to do a station ID. So we'll, we'll do a break now, including station identification.